Might be a good idea if everybody prays continually while I'm trying to do this. Um, the Lord's good. Uh, it's taken me a long time to catch on to that. That He's always good. I mean, we say that sort of glibly. But um, when you're in the midst of something that doesn't seem so good, it's hard to remember that He's always good. You know, and I don't think very many people actually manage to get through this life without running into different seasons when it seems like everything's just going to hell in a handbasket. You know, it's just like really hard things happen to people. And and I don't think any of us are exempt from that. Uh, but in the midst of it, if, if you've really had an encounter with the Lord, down deep in your spirit, you know that He's in control. And that the, 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 the greater plans of God always include the lesser trials and tribulations that we're going through. And that in the end, He's working a far more exceeding weight of glory into us for His kingdom's purposes. And it's for our benefit as well. You know, it, it really is. It is for our benefit as well. But um, this week I've been uh, meditating on some things and, and, um, and I believe that the Lord has revealed some stuff that He's doing in our day to me. But it's on a, it's on a spiritual level. And it's sometimes very difficult to communicate what you sense in the spirit. It's, it's hard to find the words to wrap around it, to get the verbiage right so that you can actually communicate what you're sensing in the spirit with other people. And so I, I really pray that the Lord will help me this morning to be able to communicate what it is I feel like the Lord's showing me about the season in which we live. And, and during my meditations this week about that, the Lord reminded me of something. It's just like it occurred to me. I've never really paid any attention to it, but I've had a few kind of like visionary experiences over the years, and and not many. You know, I don't consider myself a prophet or even prophetic. I'm just kind of a, um, a little country boy from western North Carolina trying to get to heaven. <laughs> You know, uh, that's my that's where I'm going. You know, so I'm in the process of that. And uh, but I've had some visionary experiences along the way, and the Lord reminded me that there's a common element in almost every kind of out of body visionary experience I've ever had. He shows me something up close, something in particular happening, and then it's as if I'm drawn away, like on a on a one of the a dolly ride or a helicopter or a, taken up in a drone or something, you know, to get a more expansive view of what's going on. He'll show me something specific and then show me a general application for that thing to the body of Christ. And and um, so I, I was meditating on that. And I was and I, I've. I've discerned a few specific things that I feel like the Lord is doing currently. 
But I, I, I asked the Lord, take me back. Let me see it from a, a heavenly perspective. Let me see it in what you're doing in the earth. And uh, so he, he reminded me of one of my Christmas presents this year. Uh, Kathy gave me one of those DNA testing things, you know, as a Christmas present. And I have a very close friend who has always prided himself as being 100% Norwegian. Now, I'm not going to mention who he is because he's not here today. It might be a hint to some. But anyway, he had also done one of those DNA tests, you know. And mine came back and I had more Scandinavian than he did. I tell you, it just really set him uh, off balance there for a while. You know, I, I'm 31% Scandinavian. I had the, not the vaguest idea. But I, I think I know how it happened. <laughs> I think a bunch of those guys over near Oslo, Norway, got sort of poor and, and, and uh, needed to go find better land. And so they went, you can almost see Scotland from there, you know. And so they went over and beat up on some Scottish people and stayed and blended in because all of, all of my known roots are from Scotland, you know. Or Ireland, uh, you know. But but anyway, I think that's how it happened. Uh, but I get I've got Scandinavian DNA. Who would have thunk it? Now, I I just don't get how Becky's not got Argentine DNA she did, with her plastic waiters and everything like the typical Argentine. But the the typical Argentine fire is going to fall on Becky again in a very serious manner very soon. It'll be serious this time. It'll be serious this time. Fire's gonna fall. Fires fires of the spirit fall. Fires of the spirit fall. They're gonna break out in multiple locations. We're gonna see incendios. That's not an English word, is it? We're gonna see fires. We're gonna see forest fires. And see whole regions set on fire. Yeah. I want to read a little uh, Bible passage from the Message Bible. It comes from Luke 12, verses 54 through 59. And the Message Bible kind of says things just different enough to get your attention sometimes. And it says, uh, then he turned to the crowd and says, when you see clouds coming in from the west, you say a storm's coming, and you're right. And when the wind comes out of the south, you say, this will be a hot one, and you're right. Frogs, you know how to tell a change in the weather, so don't tell me. You can't tell the change in the season, the God season we're in right now. You don't have to be a genius to understand these things. I love this line. You don't have to be a genius to understand these things. Just use your common sense. Isn't that great? That's great. I think that's the word of the Lord to us. You know, the last two presidents 
Clinton had beef from further apart in political ideology. But you know, they both got elected on the same slogan, change. Change. There's something in all of our hearts right now that's crying out for change. There's something in the spirit realm right now that says things can't go on the way they've been. A change has got to come. A change is bound to come. Watch the witness of the Spirit. Is that true? Doesn't the Holy Spirit in you say there's a change of coming and it's a God change. He's going to do the things we've yearned for for years and years and years. But the day has to come. can't keep on with this state of affairs of the miraculous supernatural acts of God not flowing and raging like a rushing river. The spirit of the living God in each one of us is yearning to see the supernatural released on the earth in our day. There is a desire and a hunger in the body of Christ to see Him move in might and power, not by the, the mechanisms and promotions of men, but by the divine intervention of God in history. If there is any spiritual DNA in this place, and I think there is, uh, I think we can trace the spiritual roots of who we are back to the Welsh revival. A lot of the things that make us who we are had its spiritual birthing place in the Welsh Revival or maybe in the, the Keswick uh, Conventions. Um, and so I just want to, to, to talk a little bit about those things, about the history of how God does what He does. Okay? With the hope that it can cause us to understand how to discern the signs of the times in which we live and have a little common sense about what God's doing and wants to do in our day. You see where, where I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go in that direction? There was a, a guy, he was a Church of England priest, uh, kind of an angel, we call him angel. With the Church of England, he had a Quaker buddy. And you know, uh, the Quakers got that term as a derisive term because when they'd get in the presence of God, they would shake and tremble. So they called them Quakers. Uh, but anyway, they held a conference in 1875 and it said, 
the union meeting for the promotion of practical holiness. It was part of a, a holiness movement. And this is, a, uh, this is a quote from one of the guys. It says, we were taken out of ourselves in those meetings. Have you ever been taken out of yourself? Have you ever been under the power of God? I know this boy has. I've seen him rolling around on the floor that way. You know, you, you're taken out of yourself. You're just, uh, you don't have your normal reserve left about you. You know, it's like the presence of the Holy Spirit just discombobulates all of your social reserve mechanisms of of how you're supposed to act in that moment. Me, I just sit down and get real quiet. I don't roll around like some of the boys. <laughs> Only rare does that happen to me. But this is what we want. Isn't it what you want? Don't you want to be taken out of yourself? Yeah. You know what that means? It's to be more God conscious than self conscious. Now, however that manifests itself is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you bark like a dog like they did in, in Cane Creek, Kentucky, or, or you sit quietly like an Anglican. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. We were taken out of ourselves. We were led step by step after deep and close searching of heart to such a consecration of ourselves to God as in the ordinary times of a religious life, hardly seemed possible. Haven't you been just drawn into the heart of God so deep that, that right today, it's, it's like, how do I get there? How's that possible to go back to that place where you're just caught up, you're consumed with an awareness of His presence? Isn't that what your heart yearns for? Man, I'm hungry for it. I want to see one more of those waves hit us before I leave this place. You know, where it's, it, it just springs up here and there and the other and there's no leader and there's no Brownsville or Toronto or Place X to go on the map. That's happening all over the place to the point that you can't keep up with it. Because it's something God's orchestrating. And this being taken out of ourselves results in an enjoyment of peace and trust in Christ for present and future sanctifications which exceed our uttermost hope. His presence sets us apart for His purposes. It's not that we have to get rid of the sin in our heart. It's just the sin in our heart becomes... It just seems so vulgar and, and awful to us that we just have no more taste for it because we've tasted a bit of the kingdom. Yeah. Amen. That's sanctification. I used to kid my, my children that I only had one thing in my house that was sanctified, and that was my mustache scissors. They could use everything else that I owned however they wanted, but they couldn't be cutting construction paper with daddy's mustache. 
I used to have a real fancy pair of, um, and a fancier mustache at the time, and, but a fancy pair of scissors that were set apart for one and only one purpose. Because after they'd been cutting that old thick construction paper, all it would do is just pull the hairs right out of your head. The sanctification is being set apart for a different purpose. I know most of you. I know that the hunger in your heart is just that. You want to be set apart for the purposes of the kingdom of God. You want to feel like your life's counting for something. You want to feel like you're glorifying God with your daily existence at work, at play, in your family. Isn't that the hunger of our souls? To be sanctified in the name of Jesus Christ for kingdom purposes? I think there's a growing hunger for that. It's accumulating. It's accumulating in the body of Christ. And it's about ready to bust over the spillways in our lives. They had about 800 people at that first conference. And you know that first conference almost didn't happen because they had invited a very famous speaker who none of you know his name today. But he had to withdraw from the conference because he was uh, discovered be leading sort of like a double life. And it almost terminated the conference. He had a moral failure and he had to resign. And that was at the first Keswick conference. And this is what the, the leader, the eventual leader, Battersby, said. He says, the Lord has been showing us in a wonderful way that if he chooses to lay aside one instrument, he can and will find others to testify of his truth and carrying on his work. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. That's good. That's so good. Because, you know, our conduct may determine whether or not we get to participate in what God's doing, but it is not going to impede or hinder what he actually does. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That should cause us all to breathe a sigh of relief. And it doesn't count on me and you, Joe. Isn't that good? Isn't it good? But we can't get in on it. You know, none of us has to bear the burden or the weight to think that you've got to carry the fire. You've got to be the one that releases the revival in this church, Pastor. It's not a burden that you should even consider putting on your own shoulders, even in private. Because when the Lord determines that He's going to move in the earth, who can stop Him? Tell me, who can stop the Lord? When He decides to do something, He's going to do it. (laughs) Then there was this little thing. I want to talk a little bit about one side of Charles Parham. How many of you know Charles Parham? He was the guy that's credited with having the Bible school where the first Pentecostal outpouring happened. 
That's not exactly true. But there did something, something did happen there on January the 1st, 1901. But not many people know what happened the year before that. The year before that, Charles Parham had uh, like a healing room ministry. He had a place that was called Bethel Healing House. And they would pray for the sick. And they were seeing some people get healed and one thing or another. And, but, but Charles Parham had heard rumors that the Holy Spirit was doing stuff in other places. And so he took a year's sabbatical leave from his ministry. He left the ministry in the hands of uh, the other leaders there at the Bethel Healing House. And so he traveled around for about a year. And he went to this, uh, this place that had a, a school over in uh, the state of Maine. It was called the Holy Ghost and Us Bible School. <laughs> That's a pretty good name. And Frank Sanford was, was, uh, was the pastor there. I'd like to go to that Holy Ghost and Us Bible School. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, apparently Parham got pretty much messed up by the Holy Spirit in good fashion. Uh, and, and so he went home back to Topeka, Kansas, and when he shows up, the boys and girls that had been running the, uh, uh, the Bethel Healing House wouldn't let him back in. They said, no, this is our ministry now. You're not welcome here anymore. You were, you were gone too long, so this is ours. You go somewhere else to play. So he goes down the road, and he says, well, maybe I'll start a Holy Ghost from us Bible school. So he starts it in October. Okay, October of the year 1900, he starts the school that became world famous. And so over the Christmas, he had an assignment for his 30 or so Bible students. It says, find out what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on people. And so they did a Bible study and one thing or another, and they had a prayer meeting on January the 1st. And this one lady who went down in the annals of history a gal named Agnes Osmond felt impressed to ask to be prayed for to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Immediately after being prayed for, she began to speak in what they referred to as in tongues. Speaking in what was believed to be at the time an unknown language. And that movement is credited by most people as being the start of the Pentecostal movement that went around the world. And you see what I'm you see what I'm saying? There you go. Holy Ghost and Us Society in Shiloh, Maine. Isn't no internet wonderful? <laughs> I've never seen that before. That's pretty cool. Think about Charles Parham's heart. He had been out seeking God with his whole heart for a year, trying to find God on a deeper level. He was already doing good stuff, but he was seeking God on a deeper level. And he went home to his ministry, and the people that he most trusted 
within three months, bam, all heaven broke loose. Amen. That might be a good reference point on revival for us to remember. Sometimes it comes when you get when you know it's like you know, like Arthur Burke used to say, when all else fails, trust God. <laughs> well, then, the Welsh revival got started. I want to tell, let me say, oh, God, I did this. Hard for me to tell a story in 10 minutes. I confess my weakness. Hey, everybody thinks Evan Robbins. Evan Roberts was a guy who started the, the Welsh Revival. But actually, uh, Evan Roberts was a 21 or 22-year-old, I can't remember exactly, uh, seminary student. He had gone to Bible school for a whopping two months. And there was this guy down the street who was having a revival meeting. And so the seminary students asked permission to go down the street to this guy whose name, his name was uh, Seth Joshua's <laughs> camp meeting down the street. And their professor said, well, you can learn more in one weekend where God's spirit is moving than you can in seminary for three years. So the professors released him to go down the road to Seth's meeting. Well, while he was down there, they were praying this prayer. And Evan Roberts, his little been to Bible school for two months, he prayed this prayer. Bend us. But he made real contact with the Lord. So he was he he felt that the Lord was speaking to him. Now this is important. He felt that the Lord was directing him to drop out of Bible school and go back to his home church in a little town in Wales and tell people about what he experienced when he prayed a prayer, bend me. When he made real personal contact with the Lord, he had such a tremendous personal experience it, he, he, he felt like he had to share it with other people. So here he comes, kind of like a little wire-rammer. They come back from DTS. You know, they've been out, you know, casting out demons and healing the sick in Nepal or somewhere, you know. And they come back and they say, Pastor, I want to preach today. And you've got two things you've got to consider there. You don't want to hurt that young person who's had an encounter with the Lord but you also don't want to do damage to the whole congregation. <laughs> so there's a balance you have to come to. So Evan Roberts, his pastor, wouldn't let him speak on Sunday, but then there was a midweek prayer meeting, and after the prayer meeting had finished and people were getting up to go, he said, young Evan here thinks he has something to say to us from God. And only 17 people stayed to hear it. And he said four things. We have these recorded. We know what he said. <coughs> Pretty 
pretty simple stuff. It says, number one, if you want to have an encounter with God, you must do this. Confess any known sin and put any wrong to man right again. Number two, put away any doubtful habit. We probably got some habits they hadn't thought about by the back of the We may have a few more habits to put away. Number three, and this is part of our heritage. Arthur Burke used to say, obedience, if it isn't instant, isn't. It says, you must obey the Holy Spirit promptly. Because a lot of times it's all about the time. You must, and four, you must confess your faith publicly. Now, on the same night that uh, Evan Roberts was sharing with 17 people in his home church, and it did grow. Within the next two weeks, they couldn't, by the end of two weeks, you couldn't get more people in the church to hear this young guy speak. But in northern Wales, there was a guy, his name was R.B. Jones, and he was holding a meeting that was so packed with people, nobody wanted to go home because the presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong that at 4.25 a.m., the meeting started breaking up because the coal miners had to get ready to go to work. <laughs> we got more pictures. Well, then, Evan says, do you think it's too much that we ask for 100,000 souls? And interestingly enough, church records show that 100,000 new converts were added to the churches in Wales. It's a very small community when it comes right down to it within the next year. I don't remember uh, John R. Knott. We'd gone to a, a, a conference up in uh, uh, Toronto together at the Toronto Vineyard at that time, it still was. But, but he says, you know, some people don't think that this is a revival we've got on our hands. He says, but the year before the Spirit manifested itself, we baptized about three new people in the church. This year, we've baptized 3,000 people and we've been visited by over a million. He says, I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> I think if we, in this church, baptize 3,000 new converts this next year, we'd pretty much feel like we were in the throes of revival, don't you think? Come on, bring it on, Papa. I'm ready for that. In one of Evan Roberts' meetings, he never, he would not allow them to publicize where he was going to be. He didn't even know where he was going to be most of the time. He would just show up. Well, he came to a meeting once upon a time. You can't give him credit for this meeting because nobody knew he was even coming. But when he got there, the church was so crowded, they were packed in so tight, he couldn't get to the front. So he literally, like in the mosh pit, you know where they pass people over the top? They passed him over the top. He was walking on people's shoulders.
shoulders and they passed him over the top. He came to the front and he said one word in Gaelic. It's like Spanish. You know, it takes more than one word to say it in English, but in Spanish we say, Oremos, let us pray. Well, it's one word in Gaelic as well. He said one word and it broke out. Everybody started praying. Some people in tongues, some people not in tongues, but everybody started praying their own prayers. It got so loud, nobody could hear anybody else. This went on for about an hour. Then he got them to passing back over the thing and the meeting continued. He left and went somewhere else. In the midst of this, that meeting, a guy named Lewis, he, we, he wrote about it later. He said everybody was praying, praying. He went up to the pastor and grabbed him by the lapels of the, the coat and said, Stop praying. Stop praying. you got to tell me how to become a Christian. This is making me crazy. <laughs> I'm saying all that to sort of paint a picture of what I'm asking God to do. I'm asking God to move. Not by any human methodologies. Not by any singular personage. Not by any big name thing, but an outpouring of His Spirit. So profound and so deep and so broad and so wide that it has no name attached to it other than Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Holy Spirit sent to glorify Him here in the earth. That's what I'm talking about. Come on. <laughs> Can I take five minutes over? I promise I'll be done in five. You won't miss out at your favorite local restaurant. <laughs> there are two significant things that have occurred in our lifetimes. Two significant revelations that have been poured out body of Christ that were not common in previous generations. I believe these are preparations for the great outpouring that we are about to experience in the spirit realm. I believe we can see them in a very popular um, Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, that has been revived since about the 60s and 70s. This has been talked about, and this has been uh, preached about, and this has been possessed by the body of Christ. It says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy. Amen. The revelation of the love of the Father is key to what God is orchestrating in the earth today. Many of us have falsely believed that God is love. God is agape. He loves us because He can't help it, because He is love. He loves us in spite of ourselves. Wrong. He doesn't love you in spite of yourself. He thinks you're beautiful. He thinks you're gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous, enough to drop dead for. He said when he created man, he 
just said everything else was good. But this is very good. Right. He set his love upon you. He created you just the way he wanted you. He designed you just the way you are. He doesn't have to force himself to love you. He can't help it because he thinks you're wonderful. I got a couple of grandkids in here I'm fixing to embarrass. Really big. But they know they just got to put up granddad. You know, I do not care what my grandchildren have been doing. I don't care if they've been bad or good. I don't care if they got poop in their pants or they, they're clean and fresh. I just don't care. When I see them, the joy that rises up in my heart is, is, is involuntary. I think they're wonderful. Nobody better tell me they think different. That's right. That's right. Preach it, brother. Woo! That's the way Jesus loves me. Yeah. yeah. Woo. You know that the church didn't have that revelation. For generations, for millennia, the church labored under a, a sense that, that they were miserable sinners and only because God was willing to love us in our wretched condition, you know, did we have any hope of salvation. And he planned all along to redeem us from the very beginning. That love of God, to pursue that love, that is a wonderful revelation that we have. The other thing is, this is the first time in church history, all right, I'm going I'm to do this. Raise your hand if God has ever spoken to you prophetically something that came to pass. That was only for ordained priests. There was much of church history when the church didn't even believe that common Christians should have the Bible translated into their language. Tyndall and Wycliffe and all those guys died to be able to put the Bible into a language people could understand. Only the ordained priesthood were allowed to read the scriptures. Within my lifetime, only anointed, mighty men and women of God heard directly from the Lord. But today, throughout every major denomination in the world, there is a belief that God speaks to each and every born-again believer. Amen. Amen. We believe that we are all ordained to go out and lay hands on the sick and to cast out demons. And to tell others about the wonderful love of the Father that we have so enjoyed. Right. It is the first time in church history. And no other generation in church history has that revelation been common in the body of Christ. We're set up for the world's greatest revival. Because he's caused us to taste of the love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Within my poor little brief lifespan, right. those revelations have been disseminated throughout the body of Christ worldwide. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. 
This is the best time ever to be alive. I ain't dead. Uh-uh. Not yet. The Lord is up to something real. Here's the good news. He wants you to be in on it. 